For those of you who are new, my name is uh, Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the table in Minneapolis. I'm pastor here alongside Debbie Manning, and we're thrilled that you are with us tonight. We're thrilled that you are with us during this season. We are starting a new series for our Advent season called I Ask for Wonder, which is a direct quote from the great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. I ask for wonder. That is how we are posturing ourselves during this season. And so it makes sense that we at least start out of the gates with the definition on what wonder is. Patty, if you could pull that, there it is. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. The reason why, for me at least, it is important to define what wonder is, is because in this season, Perhaps more than other seasons, while we might associate Christmas often with wonder, we tend to dismiss it the most during the season. Christmas tends to be a copy and paste of what was. We eat the same rolls that we ate last year. We watch the same movies. We sing the same songs. We read the same story. We do what we once did, because if it's not broke, don't fix it. And along the line, we lose our ability to ask for wonder because we've become so used to the absence of wonder. It is what it is. And what I want to suggest to you tonight, that there might be some kind of cost involved with the copying and pasting of Christmas. To put it like this, I would say that when we get so focused on the replication of Christmas, we end up forfeiting the revelation of Christmas. Let me drive it home with an image. Can I get metaphorical? I don't know if that's what this means, but this is an image right here. Last year at Christmas, Madden and Xbox, they decided to get married and sell their product as one. And so to kind of whet your appetite, they took a photo of what it would be like. Should you be lucky enough to wake up on Christmas morning, walk to your tree, and see jolly old St. Gronk underneath? It's a lovely image. A lot of people were really inspired by this photo right here. But to everyone's surprise, about 5.7 minutes after it was tweeted out, it got pulled off. Why? Well, it's not because the picture of the Xbox needs any fixing. The Xbox is a good gift. It can stand, it doesn't need more bells and whistles. It doesn't need more wrapping. The Xbox can be naked and unashamed, and there's nobody that has a problem with it. The same, however, cannot be said about the photographer who took the photo, who is in that upper left hand. Do you see him? Can you go to the next photo? There he is in case you missed it. The Xbox can be naked and unashamed. I would suggest that that man should not, though. And so they pulled it. You can take that off as soon as possible. That'd be great. That man needs some clothes. My point being is that when it comes to the Christmas season, at least for me, we can get so fixed and focused on putting on this perfect, extravagant Christmas show that we don't actually pause to ask what it is that's being shown. And oftentimes in our presenting of this image of Christmas that we're trying to see, we love the Xbox underneath the tree, but we are a little bit, we don't understand that there's a white man in whitey tighties in the upper left-hand corner and completely hijacks our entire Christmas. What we want to do in this whole season is we want to pause and ask the story that we consistently speak of, this story that we step inside of and root our tradition inside of. We want to ask, slow down. What is there something in this, is there something in this story that we ought to linger a little bit longer upon? Is there something that we are missing that we are bypassing and not moving slowly enough through? Are we seeing this story for all that it is? 
John, the writer of the Gospel of John, when he tells his Christmas story, I would think that maybe this is something that is kind of almost driving why he puts pen down to paper. Because when John tells about Christmas, he doesn't do it like Matthew and Luke does. John does something completely different. In John's Gospel, there are no uh, wise men, there is no Caesar, there is no census. John writes his story expecting that you are already familiar with it. You already know how Christmas goes down. You already know the ins and outs. And so John is not your go-to guy in trying to understand how do you set up your nativity scene. But what John will do for you is he will tell you what your nativity scene actually means. John writes this at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as I said, there are no babies in this picture. There is no teenage mama drama. There are no sex scandals to be found in this story. But John does have something to say. John says that this story about this son who was born inside of this stable, it does not start here. This baby was born with some pre-existing conditions. John says there was a word that goes way back. And in other words, what we could say about this word is that before Jesus was the fetus inside of Mary's womb, he was the word forming the world inside of his hands. Before he was crawling out of Mary's body, he was the word that was leaping off of the Father's lips. Before he was the infant screaming into the Palestinian night, he was the infinite who was piercing the darkness with light. There was not when the word was not, there cannot be when the word will not be. He was in the beginning with God, and he was gone, so says John. This baby that we see at Christmas is the brilliance that could be seen at creation. This word goes way back. Why does John want to make that point clear? Because I think that oftentimes, at least for me, the point gets very foggy very quickly. We tend to miss this point of the story very often. Here's what I mean. I was driving down back from my cabin the other day, and I was... Uh, on 10 West, I don't know why that detail is important, but write that down if you need to. And on the side of the highway, I saw a sign for a church that was advertising their Advent season. And I've seen this sign every Advent season that I have been alive, and the sign said something like this, Jesus, born to die. Have you heard that framing of why Christmas happened, why Jesus is here? He was born to die. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that. In fact, if you were to ask me, I would say that the central, the central place in Christ's life is the cross of Calvary. That's true. And so I don't, I don't disagree with the spirit or the sentiment behind this sign. I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's incorrect, but I would say that it's incomplete. That's not a full image of why Jesus is here. He wasn't here strictly to die. And so if that is the Christmas photo that we are tweeting out, we better check our ornaments and make sure there's no whitey tidies in them. Because you stare at this one a little bit longer, and there certainly are some problems that come to the service very quickly. 
If the only reason for the cradle is because we required a cross, if Jesus' sole purpose in coming to earth was to die to fix our sins, if he was only here to serve as a silver bullet wrapped in swaddling clothes, if that's it and nothing more, then here is, by reasoning, what we could also say, that had we never sinned, Jesus would have never been sent. I mean, had we not been evicted from all of our different Edens, we would be making no journey to the baby in Bethlehem. And if that's true, well, then I don't care how many angels we might read in this story telling us that we, do not be af- we don't need to be afraid, I would suggest that we have grounds for fear. Your anxiety ought to rise a little bit if that is true right there, because if Jesus is an intervention and not God's original intention, And that means to me that at some point in history, God's plan A was seen as a failure by God himself, and he went back to the drawing board for plan B. And if God's plan A failed once, and he had to go back to the drawing board once, who is to say that God won't go back there again? If the immutable, eternal God all of a sudden had a change when he looked down at you and I and our neighbors, what assurance do we have that he won't do so again? This is why John's Christmas story matters so much. John's Christmas story tells a different story in its entirety. John wants to make it perfectly clear once and for all that Jesus did not happen because of our sin. Jesus happened before our sin. And if it's a before and not a because, then what we discover in the birth is what we can declare about the beginning. What we see in Jesus is who God is. It's who God has always been. What we see in Jesus is the perfect clarity of God, the eternal one. That is the gift that we have at Christmas. You may or may not wake up to find an Xbox and and Gronk underneath your tree. If you do, good for you. Invite me over. Let's play. But even if you don't, the gift that we get at Christmas is clarity around who the creator actually is. Up until this point in history, what we had known about the creator is that he is the immutable, the original origin, origin. He is eternal. But what Jesus clarifies once and for all is that he is not only eternal, he is also, as Liz pointed out, he's Emmanuel, God with us. And if what we see in the birth is what is true at the beginning, then that is who he has always been. God has always been shaping his life as Emmanuel from the very moment that God first collected the dust of the garden, scooped it into his hands and breathed life into the person. The creator was creating for the purpose of witness. And John, actually, he makes it perfectly clear that that is the purpose behind Christmas. Because John says that this baby, the reason we celebrate Christmas at all, he was not born to die. This baby was born to dwell. And Jesus didn't just dwell so that he could someday die. What we would come to find out is that he died so that we might someday dwell. In his death, we find a death that serves his dwelling. Because Jesus comes from before and not from a because. And if you catch that story, then the whole thing gets flipped all the way around. This is rocking my world right now when you understand what is saying, what John is trying to get after here. Because Jesus is from before and not from a because, then the whole story of Christmas switches upside down. As much as we might sing and celebrate Jesus as the reason for the season, in this understanding of John's gospel, 
You are the reason for the season. Because what we discover at Christmas is not just that Jesus is the gift of Christmas, but that you are the gifts that God has always chosen to give into himself. Jesus comes because he cannot imagine a world where the word of God does not become the flesh of brothers and sisters, the creation. I'm not saying this to dismiss the depths of love that are found at Calvary. I'm only asking that we do not miss the depths of love that are found at Christmas. Because the cradle embodies every inch of unconditional love. It's just as deep, just as convicting, and just as assuring as the cross is. You are holy and you are loved and you are graced not only because God took flesh to save you, but also because even before the first dawn of that first creation morning, God set out to be with you. Christmas was always on the calendar. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not just that in the fullness of time, the word became flesh and died for all of our failures. The good news of the gospel is that before there was time, the word set out to be flesh, to dwell with you in friendship. Jesus wasn't born because of our failures. He was born before all of them. Jesus is the word that goes way back. He was born before. Before you first fell in love, before you first learned how to fight with lies, before you spoke your wedding vows, or before you ever broke them, before you kissed your kids goodnight, or before you walked out of their lives, before you had one more drink, or before you said, no more drinks for me. Before you laughed or wept or cursed or blessed, the word was on his way. The word was coming into the flesh to befriend you and I. Jesus was the word who was in the beginning. He was the word who was with God, and he is the word who was God. And perhaps this Christmas, as we recognize that Jesus is the word who was always on its way, perhaps you and I, we will turn around and recognize that word and start walking towards him for example. Maybe this Christmas, we receive the gift of Christ by stepping into the dwelling that he set out to deliver to us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, Lord, you are good, and we are grateful, God. Lord, you were born, it was always on your calendar. You were always coming to us, Father. You created in love and you stayed in love and you are the God who does not change and we are grateful for that. So Christ, as we step into this Christmas season and all of the things that come with it as we get busy, God, help us to pause and recognize you who are in our midst, who have showed up, not just to forgive us, but also to be friends with us. In Christ's name, all God's children, we say together, amen. amen.